The Bill Haston Podcast can be heard on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. It can be heard on TulsaWorld.com. It can be actually seen on TulsaWorld.com, too. Uh, it can be heard really anywhere that you can hear a good podcast. Today will be an exceptional podcast because uh, I'm joined by the clear frontrunner for sports journalism, Rookie of the Year, Dean Rule. Go ahead and laugh. I believe that. Um, who uh, joined our staff in August or July? August. August. Wow. Right on the brink of football season. Um, so uh, Dean attended Oklahoma State, know, covers Oklahoma State for us, uh, knows the culture, knows the people. Uh, aggressive coverage, outstanding coverage. So a uh, great addition to our staff. Um, so um, Brian Nardo is the third in this lineage of guys Mike Gundy has found in these tiny uh, college programs brought to Stillwater. Uh, Mike, you since famously 10 years ago. Wow, it's been 10 years now. Uh, Sean Gleason for a one-year run uh, brought him in here. Uh, from Princeton in 2019. Both of those guys were offensive coordinators, and now Mike has done it, Dean, with Brian Nardo. Uh, brings him in from a school I had to look up, I'd never heard of. Uh, and then you reported today, last night and today, that Nardo, you got the details of his contract. It's three years, $650,000 uh, as a starting line uh, compensation for Brian Nardo which to me is kind of a perfect amount. Um, I, I knew they weren't going to go beyond a million like they did for Derek Mason with a, with, a, with a new guy, but I think it's a very – and like I wrote about Gleason four years ago, when he because he made 550, I believe, to start, and I wrote this guy just hit the lottery because he was, you know, at a small school making less than 100 grand. And, you know, you feel the same way about Brian Nardo, not – only with regard to the money, Dean, but the opportunity, right? Because what a big step in his career. Yeah, I mean, you're coming from a D2 school that, I mean, like you said, Bill, you're a seasoned veteran in all this. You Even you had to go and look up where exactly it was. And now you're coming to a Power 5 school that's, you know, had some decent guys roll through here with Jim Knowles, Derek Mason. You know, I think there's something they, they see in Brian Nardo, I think, just talking with people since he got hired back in January. There's a pretty strong sense of optimism that, that he's going to be able to get this done. Um, I would assume, you know, pure speculation on my point, those contract negotiations for Brian Nardo were probably nothing like uh, what they were for Derek Mason. Cause you know, when, when you're getting 1.1 million, Derek Mason, he's been established. He's been a head coach. This is Brian Nardo's first, not only D one job, but first power five job. So, I assume it. I, I assume it was pretty simple, and and like you said, I, that number sounds right uh, for where he's at in his career. Uh, but I, I think that with Brian Nardo, I, I like the hire. I think if you're, and I've said that kind of from the beginning. I think if you're OSU and you can't go out and you can't always get the heavyweight, you're not always going to get a Derek Mason kind of guy. I think be creative with it, and and they were this time around, like you said, with the. Uh, same thing as Mike Yersich a little bit. Yeah, well, Yersich was uh, kind of a, a punching bag for the fan base for a while, but I've always said that um, Yersich's arrival, and I don't, it, it's not just my opinion, it's fact. Yersich's arrival coincided with 
the deterioration of the offensive line culture at Oklahoma State. And, uh, you know, they, they had a 10-win season that first year with uh, multiple quarterbacks because of injuries, and Clint Shelf ended up getting hot in the second half of that season, and they win 10 games and, uh, and beat the crap out of a top-five Baylor team that was unbeaten at the time. Uh, I mean, dogged them like 49-10 or something. And uh, so Yursich was a true diamond in the rough uh, who went from here to Texas to Ohio State. Is that the journey for him, I think? And then uh, so, you know, Sean Gleason will never know because he just he left after one season uh, how that would have worked out. But I think I think Sean Gleason felt a little stifled. Uh, and I remember the one time I remember talking with him and he said, I'm hoping to get my fingerprints. No, I'm sorry. It's Mike Gundy who said this. He said, I, eventually Sean will get to put his fingerprints on the offense. So uh, it's probably not what a young coordinator wants to hear is eventually, you know, uh, he'll get to put his fingerprints on the offense or more of his fingerprints on the offense. Uh, and he left after the one season. So Nardo coming in now, you know, he's just like, loaded with energy and ideas and you know who knows what it'll look like but um you know i'm going to write today on jim knowles and what a bargain he was in 2018 to come in here from duke and they paid him 600,000 d and by the end of his run there you know top 5 top 8 defense in the country in the country and 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 the biggest reason why they won 12 games in 2021 so um but you're you reside in Stillwater you're close to the campus you're there every day so um December January was a really turbulent time really the whole second half of the season was turbulent for Oklahoma State but then it got even more so with the departure of so many poor guys and so much movement roster movement um you know, the season ended badly. Was I think six of seven, six of the last seven they lost. There was the infamous K State game, and an infamous week game a week later at Lawrence. Um, Bedlam was awful. Uh, and then your starting quarterback, your veteran starting quarterback, jumps in the portal, and you're you know you got to go super inexperienced with a quarterback in the ball game. So, um, I just wonder what is your do you, do you sense that people in the building and uh, in the athletic department and just around the program have, have they kind of recovered, started to recover from such a rough December, January, and things are starting to feel okay again? Or is it all just wait and see, man, until spring football and see what you have at quarterback and see what you have all over the field? I, I think it's – Part of, of both of those two things you brought up, I think the dust has settled. They see this is the roster that they've got. This is what they're going to have moving forward. And and, I, and there's optimism there because, you know, if, if we look at it, Bill, there's 33 new players on this team. That's almost a fourth, a third of the team is new. Um, and and I think that's always exciting when you when you bring in new players because you don't know what you got. Some of them might be great. Some of them might not turn out how you hope they do. But you still have that, you know that optimistic feel because you don't know yet. And you, you know, you're always going to view that as a, as a positive. Um, but yeah, I think the dust is settled. And I think that's why this, this spring ball is going to be so important for them. Um, 
Because I'm sure that there are lessons that were learned this offseason with the whole portal thing, because this was really the, you know, la last year that they lost some guys that uh, that I, I, I felt were, were important pieces. Um, but this year, especially this offseason, they, they lost some, like you said, the when you lose Spencer Sanders, you're starting quarterback, you know. With Spencer, I always wondered, you know, if 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 the goal is obviously to to reach the NFL, you always wonder is it better off if you got one last year to to stay at a program that you've been ingrained in the system for for years, or you better to go try to learn something new and try out something different. And obviously, we know what he sided with there, but that, that's always my question when when you get some of these more veteran guys transferring is, well, if the goal is to improve your draft stock as best you can. Are you better off doing it in a system you're comfortable with or a system that you feel better suits you? Um, and of course, there's always who knows what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, you know, that, there's also that, you know, you never know what relationships look like. Uh, but yeah, I, I think there's a sense of optimism because you don't quite know. You think you know what you have, but you want to see it on the field. And and so, so, so I think, you know, the... Yeah, December, January were, were tumultuous times over there in uh, that football locker room from time to time. But I think now you just got to keep moving forward with it. And what you know, it what happened to Oklahoma State is a great equalizer uh, in a sense for a lot of schools um, because it's something everybody's dealing with. Rob, yeah. all, the the fluid nature of you know roster management now. It's unprecedented, and you just said it yourself, 33 guys. Um, and that's common around the country. I mean, A&M and Arkansas have it worse than Oklahoma State. So um, I just think if I was – like, do, if I were going to do bullet points on uh, what, in my mind, are the most important storylines in this spring, and did you say they start on March 21? Is yep. When's spring game? Uh, this would be what would that be? Six weeks, so late April. Um, to me, if I would, if I listed bullet points on the most important uh, areas in which you've got to see either improvement or uh, you've got to get uh, de enlightenment and definition to know what you have. To me, because I've been hammering away at this for nine years, but I just think if if they could somehow get better on the offensive line, Dean, it's going to help whoever's that quarterback. It's going to help them. Obviously, their run game this year was the worst for the program since 2001, yeah. since Les Miles' first season. Uh, you, that's that's a disgrace. Uh, they've, they've always been – most Gundy's better teams have been defined by – Offensive balance and the ability to, you know, to uh, uh, to run the football. His first seven teams were defined by their ability to kind of lead the league in in not only in rush yardage but fewest sacks. I mean, they had it. They had the best offensive line. I would say sustained offensive line performance over a seven year period in the whole Big Twelve. I'm not saying you got to get back to that necessarily, but it's got to look better than it's looked the last several years. And and then after that, obviously, I think it's really critically important to know coming out of spring who your quarterback is. And, you know, I'm not saying it's Bowman, 
but it, you know, you'd kind of like for it to be Bowman because of his experience. And because I know from seeing him uh, as a healthy young guy at Texas Tech, great arm talent. And I thought he would just be the next guy in that lineage of great, productive Texas Tech college quarterbacks. Um, and then he gets hurt, a couple of injuries, and ends up at Michigan in a, in a you know, in the bullpen at Michigan and doesn't get on the field. And now here he is at Oklahoma State as a 23. Is he 23? Oh, uh, he's 23 or 24. Okay. So season six for him. Yeah, an older guy. OSU had amazing success a few years ago with an older guy who came out of baseball with a damaged shoulder, now that I think about it, uh, from pitching. And wound up, of course, he had three years to wait. Uh, seven, eight, nine. Now, yeah, wow. Yeah, Whedon didn't get on the field as the starter till his fourth year in the program, which I still marvel at that he was that patient. And today, in today's uh, climate, there's no way, no way in hell you, a guy stays four years before he gets to play. Um, so, um, but, but you feel like, uh, I mean, and I mentioned in the email to you, I said, you know, there's got to be some some positives right now. I mean, it's not all bleak, but but what would you look at as, you know, some positives going into spring and potentially really super bright positives coming out of spring? I, I think uh, if we look at this from an offensive perspective first, I mean, if I'm if I'm betting on it, I, I would say right now, not a, a down of spring ball or spring practice has occurred. I think Alan Bowman is your starter um, simply because I, I just think when you when you bring in somebody like that, when you have a talented quarterback room, but a young one, because, you know, Zane Flores, everybody likes, you know, he, he got a lot of praise out of Nebraska, uh, you know, coming from Nebraska high school. He set all kinds of records. Garrett Rangel showed flashes at points. Um, the the uh, the guaranteed rate bowl was not one of those points, but he still had some all right. He showed something during the season. Um, so I think Bowman serves as a great bridge to, to let these guys continue to develop. And like you said, Bill, patience is needed, but patience is hard to get in college football these days. Um, it, well, I will say this for Rangel. He showed me something in the fourth quarter of the ball game. He played his guts out. Yeah. Uh, he did and gave him a chance. Uh, but um, – I mean, the best case scenario to me is is that a healthy Alan Bowman can play 13 games. And, well, the best case scenario is that he plays 14 games and stays on the field and, you know, and, I mean, somehow, some way, even when they lose a lot of guys from that room, they always have receivers. They always manage to have good targets. And, you know, I don't know where, where, even where they stand now with regard to returning receivers, but they always manage to get um, three, four, five. In a couple of years, they've had six and seven guys they could trust to make plays in games. And, you know, I thought it was a big uh, – it's hard to say that, that it wasn't like he was a free agent. It wasn't like they uh, – uh, but the fact that Brennan Presley stayed when his brother left – and when I think there was a kind of a collective expectation, maybe that Brennan would join Braylon at TU or, you know, there was so much movement, not to mention, you know, Spencer Sanders leaves the guy that was responsible for 
Brennan having 67 catches and leading the team, 61 or 67 catches and leading the team. And now Brennan doesn't know who's going to be throwing him the football, but he stayed. Now he's on track to graduate in December. Uh, he loves the university, loves Stillwater. Uh, you know, he's kind of a loyal and true classic, loyal and true OSU athlete. Um, so I think keeping him was a big deal. Um, you know, and I don't, I can't state, do I talk to the Presleys a lot? Yes. But can I state with any total certainty that, that Brennan had like a, uh, decision to make or, uh, did he seriously, seriously, was he leaning toward a departure? Uh, I can't say that, but, uh, but I did think when Braylon Presley left after one season, um, that Brennan might be inclined to go elsewhere, uh, especially with Spencer Sanders leaves, and you don't know what you got at quarterback. So there are some positives, and you know a lot more of those positives than I do. So I'm going to hush and let you go with it. Yeah, I, I think getting Brennan back is huge for them. And while they, the, the truth is, they lost four of their top five receivers in terms of receiving yards this this off season. Um, one of those was Braden Johnson, who ran out of eligibility. And then you got John Paul Richardson went to TCU. Bryson Green went up to Wisconsin. Um, why am I blanking on the last one, Bill? Should have wrote that down. But anyway, you, you, you know, there's still Jaden Bray. He's still around. He didn't get to play much last season because he was dealing with injuries. But everybody remembers his freshman year. Everybody was excited about him then. Stephon Johnson Jr., that's the other one, Bill. He went to yeah. Houston. Um. So, so you lose, you know, and, and you also have some some younger guys like uh, Talon Chetron out of uh, Edmond Santa Fe. People loved him, and they flipped him from OU, and he didn't get to play a ton this year. I know he was dealing with some nagging injuries, but nothing major. Um, but regardless, the, the, there's still talented wide receivers, to your point, and I think uh, Ollie Gordon sticking around at running back. People are obviously – he's kind of become a fan favorite. Uh, since having some some good games later in the season, and I think he's ready to take over that that running back spot uh, now that Dominic Richardson left and transferred to Baylor. But to your point about the offensive line, you know, I think that's got to be the the primary focus because while they have some they have some some talent on that line, the problem is we saw it last year when when they get injured, there's not the the proper depth to be able to you know plug and play, and that's that's the big thing. It's not that there's no talent on the offensive line. There is, but there's no depth to it right now. And that's what, and I'm sure, you know, there are smarter people in the Boone Pickens stadium offices than me. I'm sure it's at the forefront of, of making sure that they, they solve that this off season. Well, I wasn't texting somebody or surfing my phone. I was looking for my Dean rule roster tracker that you said <laughs> to go finally found it. Uh, yeah. And it just, it's just a reminder of how, you know, like I said, schools like Arkansas and AM got popped. Miami of Florida got popped worse than Oklahoma State. But it was jarring, you know, at the time. It's like every day for a while, there's just guy after guy after guy announcing, you know, I love Oklahoma State, but I'm out of here kind of stuff. Uh, Trace Ford, that's shocking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, so you, you feel like um, they've gotten beyond the, uh, I don't know, 
the most the bleeding. Motion sickness of that two-month stretch or whatever, really three months going back to midseason because it's just such an awful second half of the season. But you feel like they've kind of gotten their bearings. And... Yeah, I mean, I, I think – I don't envy Mike Gundy's job right now because not only – it's insane because you, you go out and you recruit somebody, Bill, and they're a high school kid and, you know, maybe they're three-star, four-star, and they commit and they sign and – you bring them on, and we well, got to keep recruiting them year round now, because these yeah. can, can these these players can can hop in the portal. And, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think you should should allow players the choice, but that's a hard job because you know to to continually recruit and make sure they're happy and make sure they've got what they need. That's hard. That's a hard job for you know a roster of 120 kids or whatever. Right. You know, I should mention too a positive because I've seen him play, and I can tell you he will be. Uh, a nice addition is Justin Wright, a linebacker from Tulsa. Now, you talk about uh, what you just talked about with Mike having to continue to recruit guys and to retention is, you know, is on the same level now as recruiting, right? Yeah. So, uh, but look at poor Tulsa. I mean, the last couple of years, they've lost two NFL corners, an NFL nose tackle, and now Justin Wright, guys who were like two-star types that mm -hmm. brought in, developed, they became really, really good players and then ended up wanting to go elsewhere to finish. Um, so um, that's just that's just the nature of it. You know, it really makes me wonder, though, maybe this all hits so quick that there's uh, not quite the organization on the coach's part yet to get legislation rolled through for – you know, serious change or to modify uh, the freedom of movement that the players currently have. But I bet you by this time next year, when you and I are talking, I bet there is change. I'm not saying they're going to shut down the portal, but I'm saying there'll be some sort of modification for it. I got to think because sure. it's not only just the football product. It's well, it is the football product, but you know, if, and, and I'm not trying to pour cold water on Oklahoma State because I think this is a, 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 a potential situation that exists at a lot of places. But if you don't know, like you just said, Dean Rule just said 33 new guys on the roster. That means a, like 100 schools around the country have 33 new guys on the roster. And a lot of schools are starting over quarterback. And a lot of schools don't know what they've got right now at the time at the very front end of the season ticket sales campaign, right? Yeah. Market that. I mean, it used to be you had a let's say, oh baby, we had a freshman quarterback, a redshirt freshman quarterback this session. We got two more years at least of this guy. And you kind of market around that, right? And now it's like, you know, you're kind of marketing, you're kind of hoping the loyal and true people keep stepping up. And because I mean this Coming off the Notre Dame bowl win, I think OSU season ticket sales was like a top five in school history sales total, right? So what happens to that now? I mean, is, are, they, is, are we looking at a 15% drop? Or I guess that's just another reason why spring football is so critically important, right? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, and time time will tell on, on season tickets and what that looks like and you know, I don't think that's a bad idea to market it as, hey, we've got 33 new guys. But I think what draws people to OSU football is is the idea that you can 
go out and you can recruit the region and you can find these kind of lesser known three stars and you bring them in and they, you know, they redshirt, they sit for a year or two, then they hop into the starting lineup and, you know, by their fifth year, senior year, they're a mainstay and everybody loves them. Everybody knows their name. They're big deals in, in the city of Stillwater and Hey, maybe they go out and get drafted and you can't, there's that continuity, that roster continuity is, is, is gone in college football just with the transfer portal. You you lose a lot of that. And I think that's in that teams, not just it's not just an OSU problem. I think it's all teams are, are trying to adapt to now. So uh I guess I can go ahead and tip my hand a, a little bit on what I'm writing for tomorrow's paper to complement what you will have on your reporting of the uh staff salaries and Brian Nardo's money. Uh, but I'm going to kind of uh, kind of rank the most effective coaching hires that Mike Gundy's made, and three of those guys are on the offensive side, and two of them are uh, um, coordinators: Dana Hogerson, Todd Monk, and back to back. Dana's here one year, but he's on that list. He was such a culture changer, such an attitude adjustment guy, uh, such a breath of fresh air, and, of course, right place, right time for three guys, Whedon, Blackman, Dana Hogerson. And OSU goes from not being able to make get a first down uh, the last few games of the 09 season to being unstoppable in 2010. And so Dana is absolutely on that list. Uh, Todd Munkin, who succeeded him a year later, uh, had a great run and was the coordinator, the play caller uh, on the Big 12 championship team. Joe Wickline, who, uh, you know, I pointed it out a minute ago, the offensive line at Oklahoma State during the Wickline years was consistently brilliant. And and with two and three star guys, they had a center who was literally a one-star guy out of Joplin, Missouri. His only other offer was from uh, uh, Missouri State. Maybe it was Missouri State. one of the little Missouri uh, programs, and but he ends up at Oklahoma State and ends up on the cover of Sports Illustrated in 09 with Zach Robinson and, and, and started a million games both at guard and center. And that's a development guy. That's a classic development guy. Now, the most important hire Gundy ever made was Rob Glass, and Mike told me as much the day he hired him and on the phone. I'll never forget him. He said, it's probably the most important guy I'll ever hire. And lo and behold, he was, and to this day is, because Rob Glass is the key to all all that goes into development at Oklahoma State. But uh, Jim Knowles is the one defensive guy I've got on that top four. Uh, and now, so I can kind of weave this all around the Nardo hire, and now we know the details of his contract, three years, 650 per. And, you know, can Brian Nardo – kind of come out of nowhere like Jim Knowles did. Knowles came from Duke. I mean, it wasn't like they were doing a parade for him when he arrived. Um, but look at the impact he had. Holy cow. So, um, so many questions in the uh, spring football. I want to ask you real quick before we finish here. Uh, what, 10 days or so ago, Oklahoma State was one of the most celebrated teams in uh, college basketball with regard to – bracket projections and media chit chat and and 
getting a lot of love. You know, you'd be watching a game that didn't involve Oklahoma State, and the analysts would just pipe in, you know, Oklahoma State. Uh, they were getting a lot of mentions, positive mentions. And now all of a sudden, a uh, couple of really poor performances, and Avery Anderson is, you know, inactive, and, and it's just like, holy moly. I mean, you felt like it was a certainty that they would be in the tournament, Dean, and now you feel like, I, I kind of feel like they're about to fall off the table is what it looks like. Oh, no. I, there's there's questions about, about their tournament resume right now. And here's the – I sat down and crunched some of the numbers um, this morning. And so the past three games, they've allowed 90.6 points per game. They've allowed opponents to shoot – let's see, Kansas – shot 53% from the field, TCU shot 68%, and West Virginia shot 44%. And they've turned the ball over 15, at least 15 times a game. Uh, that's, this is not a recipe for success there. Um, and, and I think it's one thing to have gone, you lose to Kansas at home, it's not the worst thing that could have happened to you. Uh, but then to go in on a short little road stretch and lose by double digits, that, that doesn't help your case. Um, it, it's a it's a bad time to be sliding right now, especially with when you got a team like Texas Tech, who's all of a sudden getting hot in the conference. When you got and you got to play them at the end of the season. You've got two two games in the next week against top fifteen opponents. It's weird, you know. I think I think it goes just to the defense, and the defense hasn't looked itself. And I think part of that is Avery Anderson being out. You know, he's the best on-ball defender they have. And then on top of that, uh, you know, Caleb Boone did not play much in the past two games because of foul trouble. He, he played 16 minutes in the past combined in the past two games. And he scored seven points from it. So he loses not only you losing his offensive side, um, but you know, he, he's an important player on their defensive end, too. Not as important as Musa Cisse down low, but he's still an right. important Oh, yeah, and he'd been playing beautifully. Now, did that, is it right? Did Caleb not get a rebound two nights ago? That sounds right. Oh, my gosh. He, he only played six minutes against West Virginia. Right. I mean, four points, no boards or something uh, crazy. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just uh, – and it is – uh, probably they were probably overachieving to some extent in that league when they got hot the way they did. Um, but I mean, was Texas Tech really as bad as 0 and 8? No, of course not. And they hit their stride. It seems like OSU hits their stride right in the right in the heart of the conference schedule. And now they're they've reverted to some bad habits and and uh so it's a great league. There's no doubt. It's it's uh but it's like the uh, – I think I mentioned before we started recording that um, to you that, you know, I, I did uh, – I was a guest on a radio show this morning. We were talking about what basketball used to be around here. And and I re went back to the 99-2000 season, which – during which OSU came that close to going to the Final Four. TU came that close to going to the Final Four. And, and OU was really good that year. Uh, in fact, I covered OU in uh, the regional at Tucson uh, that year. And But the, the combined conference records of OSU, OU, Tulsa, that year, Dean, they were 32-12 and 12 in conference play. This year, OSU's in seventh place, OU's in last place, Tulsa's in last place, and they're 11-35. and 35. 
which I guess is a big explainer why you, you and I spent 85% of this podcast talking about football. <laughs> right? I mean, poor Tulsa. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, all right, let me let, my last question for you. Who's the best football player at OSU right now? I always used to try to identify who's who would I say the best football player is at OSU. And it would be from year to year, it would be like a Kendall Hunter one year. It would be, uh, I mean, just I would bounce all over the field. But I always like to identify a guy as the guy I thought was the best player. Brandon Whedon was the best player there for a couple of years. Um, there's no doubt about it. Most impactful guy they've ever had in the Gundy era was Brandon Whedon. Is there a guy now you think is the clearly defined alpha best player on the roster? I can do offense or defense here. I can do whatever. You know, I, I might go out on a limb and say it's somebody like Colin Oliver or Kendall Daniels. See, Oliver would be the guy that would come to mind for me. Man. And, you know, I mean, you wrote about it uh, a few weeks ago, but the retention of those two is so critical. I mean, I mentioned Brennan, but holy moly, to have uh, the best player at two of the three levels of your defense coming back. And then, like I said, Justin Wright, you can plug in uh, with the linebacker group. Um, just, you, the OSU people are going to be very pleased with Justin Wright, I promise you. Um, older guy, uh, married guy, 240, runs well. Um, he, he will be a difference maker for Oklahoma State. He'll be, he'll be a guy that they come out of spring practice. Uh, everybody will be in love with this guy coming out of spring. I mean, here's what I think is interesting about Colin Oliver is especially in this Brian Nardo 3-3-5 defense, you can play Colin Oliver back as a linebacker. You can put him up front. I think he's going to be a – if anybody has a chance to be a superstar in that defense, it's him. Yeah. Oh, you're right. All right, I'll let you get back to work. I've got to get back to work. Uh, Bill Haston Podcast, like I said, can, you, can, you can catch it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TulsaWorld.com. Uh, it'll be on the site. We are recording on Wednesday the 22nd. At two o'clock. So this will be on the side at about 4 p.m. today. We're going to be everywhere at about 4 p.m. today. I'm writing on Oklahoma State football today. Dean's writing on Oklahoma State football today. And it'll all uh, be bundled on TulsaWorld.com here in a little bit. And Dean, thank you so much. And I will see you actually here tomorrow in the office. Of course. Appreciate you having me on. All right. I'll see you later. See you.